You've got a passion for the outdoors, a desire to feel the warm sun on your face, the sound of your fly line whipping through the air, the pop of the water as the fish inhales the fly you just found in the floorboard of your truck. You need to feel the cool waters on your feet, the crisp north breeze of a November morning, the sound of a turkey gobble, the December rut, the chills of an elk bugle in September. It's the longing passion to chase your obsession. This is what we share. This is what we preach. Welcome to Honey Hole Hangout. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Boys and girls, we're back. We're back. We took a little summer break. We did take a summer break. Not intentional summer break. They don't have to know that. But it was a summer break. (laughs) Yeah. So today it's me and Zach Adair. Just hanging out. Just hanging out. Harris, we should we should call him out on the podcast for what he did. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, because it's 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 it's, it's very, almost unacceptable. Very ridiculous. It is. So Harris texted our group for today because this was the first meeting in like a month, and we're really excited to get together. We're going to talk about the Iron Fly. We're going to talk about real recovery. We're going to do this podcast. It's all going to be great. We're going to be best friends. You know, it was just going to be this unbelievable night. And then he texts, I'm headed your way. Awesome. Fifteen minutes later, I get a phone call. Hey, so um, uh, I'm kind of in a situation right now. Okay, what's going on? Are you okay? Are you safe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, uh, I'm kind of locked out of my car right now. I'm like, well, what do you mean you're locked out of your car? He's like, well... I locked my car, and I locked my car keys in my apartment, <laughs> and my 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 spare car key is in my apartment that I'm locked out of, and my spare apartment key is in my truck that I'm locked out of. <laughs> so he's locked out of his apartment and, and his, his vehicle. Yep, where all of his keys are. And he's been sending us photo updates. Of him breaking, breaking into his own door, breaking into his own door. <laughs> it's been kind of nice. Like I like keeping up with it. Yeah, yeah. No, they've been, they've been. The first one like had a nice little drill hole straight through it, and clearly that didn't work. And so then, like, we just keep getting pictures of, like, of, of pieces of a doorknob. Door knob. Yep, yep. And then the last one was each half of the doorknob in his hand, and the door open. Yeah. So. And then the doorknob is like beat to hell. Yep, yep. So, looks like he's back. <laughs> Into his, into his room at least. Into his room, but unfortunately, he's not with us tonight. No, he didn't make it. So, uh, I guess I'll address the elephant in the room first. I've gotten some messages from some people that have been concerned about the podcast because um, a few people actually have reached out and they're like, "Hey, you know, we noticed that there's not a podcast." We're kind of concerned. You guys were doing weekly, and then you went to bi-weekly, and now it's been like a month since we've had a podcast. And, you know, we appreciate And they're like, I really like the podcast. You guys have a good thing going, and I don't want it to end. And that was actually really positive feedback that I needed in the moment. Right. Because I was like, oh, people actually do listen. Yeah, people, are, people want us. Yeah. They want, they want the podcast. They, people want the podcast. So um, I really appreciate that. Um our intention is bi-weekly going forward. Right. Um, there are going to be some caveats to that, obviously. I'm not going to go into details of my personal life, but I have a big 
personal life change that I am involved with right now that has make it has made it very difficult to podcast. So it's my fault. Um, but we're going to try to get back onto the two week schedule and keep bringing you guys content. And we're still playing the Iron Fly and do, trying to do other events and do things like that. YouTube videos are still coming out. Um, not as timely as they have been, but we're, we're not going anywhere. The podcast is not dissolved. We're good. We appreciate that you guys listen to us. And uh, we just took a summer break. Yeah, summer break. You know. And apparently, you've had your own. I didn't even know because honestly, I've been like kind of. I haven't been. I got called out on our uh, Instagram group message that involves more people than just me. There's Gabe and a couple other guys, like real recovery guys on there. Apparently, one day I got called out because I never. I've been trying to be more involved in it. I never respond to anything. But I'm but a bad dude, texter. Though. I've been in the black. Like, I haven't texted you and Zach Harris really that much. No. Um, I just, I've had a lot going on. So, um, I'm just trying to figure out my life right now. Yeah. Little to figure out. Little, little, little interesting. Yeah. So. Um, hey, everybody needs that sometimes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Rest, rest is needed. Unfortunately, it has been rest. Yeah. But. Yeah, it's true. But. Um, and believe me when I say that with everything else going on, the podcast is the thing that I want to do the most. So if I'm not doing it, then you're not happy. Yeah. yeah. So I'm happy. Yeah. I'm happy now. All right. So he's not guaranteeing he's going to respond to the group text. No, no, not yet. I still, <laughs> I, I'm not out of the clear yet. Like I still got a lot going on, but, um, podcast every other week, podcast every other week for now, maybe throw up a YouTube video uh, every once in a while if I can, and then we're trying to – iron flies around the corner, and we're working on it. So um, we really appreciate you guys, though, and thanks to everybody that sent out messages to us. I appreciate it. Nice. You have been doing something interesting you want to fill the listeners in on? Yeah, I'll talk a little bit about it. Uh, yeah, so uh, as you guys know, I've been coaching – and so with that means I have to get my bus driver's license. So it it is a lot. <laughs> there is I, a when lot. you were telling me earlier, I was honestly kind of surprised. There's so much to it. It's like imagine you're getting your. It seems like it's not worth it. No, it's worth it. Is it worth it? Cause it's fun to drive the bus. Yeah. You know, I mean, like I get to wake up and I just start singing like the wheels on the bus, baby. You know, go round and round. It just it's it's a lot. I was like, oh, Zach already knows how to drive, so no big deal. Yeah, no, it's not. <laughs> it's not that whole thing. It's like okay, now I just gotta apply what I know to driving to a bus. I gotta stop at all railroad crossings, <laughs> and uh, you're good. And then you're pretty much and good. That, you're golden. That's yeah. It. Put the stop sign out when kids are getting off. No, uh, you don't have to think about that. That actually does it automatically when you open the door. So <laughs> that's great. I was like, I was thinking, oh, it's just like driving, but with like a couple extra little nuggets, and then. You've been talking me through it, and I'm like, no, this is not just driving no, with I'm a couple on, extra nuggets. I'm this on week four. <laughs> four weeks. No, no, week three, week three. I started July 3rd. But going almost every day, right? Yeah, yeah. I think I've taken one day off mm-hmm. a week. Last week I took two days off. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, so there's a lot. So walk us through what it's like to get uh, school bus certified. Oh. Wait, it, let me ask you this. Is school bus certified or forklift certified? Higher ranking and coolness. Well, I mean, can you if you're forklift certified, can you drive a semi? I don't know, but yeah, if wait, you're wait, school, the answer is no. But if you're school bus <laughs> certified, can you drive a forklift? Probably not. 
Mm. How long do you think it takes to get a forklift certificate? <laughs> My brother can drive a forklift. I have no idea. But you know, like, there's all those jokes on social media, like, uh, I've seen a lot of it of, like, uh, like guys, like, making it a joke that they're, like, forklift certified. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's yeah. like, like, to girls, like, oh, I'm forklift certified. That's, gonna be, that's yeah, 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 yeah that's home. what it is. You know, Kendall gets excited about it. So <laughs> I'm school bus certified. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, you know what? Hey, I'm a science teacher like Miss Frizzle. You know what I mean? So <laughs> 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 Who's calling me going into tonight? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, man. Uh, no, it's fun, though. It's good. There's a lot of videos. You know, in the group text today, they were sending out those little... Um, you know, whenever you get, like, a service industry job, you have to sit there and watch, like, how to be an employee videos. You know, they take, like, all like your whole first week of, like, any job, especially when you're in high school, is just watching those videos. And so... Yeah, and it's, like, the worst videos about sexual harassment. Yeah. It's, like... It's, like, clearly that is... Yes. Yes. You Like, yes. the fact that we have to talk uh, about y- this, yes. that somebody thought this was appropriate at one point is yeah. weird. But well, yes, then the videos, the videos are always something that no one would ever do. Like, I'm sure that, like, things like that are going on in the office. But when you look at it, it's like, I'm sure the harassment is happening, but it would never happen like it's being portrayed in this video. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's so, so awkward. Blatant, yeah. It's so blatant they and awkward. They almost need to have, like, hidden harassment yeah, videos, yeah, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, where's, where's Waldo? <laughs> Spot the harassment. Spot the harassment. No, that's awful because it does happen, and it is something that's serious, and we should, we should take seriously. <laughs> no, no, I, it really <laughs> happens. I'm just making fun of the videos. No, no, the videos are awful. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so that's what it's been. It's been a lot of those where it's just like they've said the same thing like 20 times, and so I did that from 7.30 to 4.30 today. I yep. got to go do it for a few more hours tomorrow. Um, but that's like pretty much the last thing I have to do outside of go take my test. Or uh, DPS. Okay. And you said there's some auto-fail things. Oh, yeah, yeah. Do like you, are you, like, confident on those auto-fails? Because there's some things that they score you on, right? And then there's some things that, like, if you don't do this correctly, it's an automatic fail. Yeah, I mean, like, I feel confident in it. But, you know, like, when you get in the test situation, you're you're a little nervous, there's you know? There's some pressure. And so there's some pressure. Like, my program is pretty good about like making a stick to like a like a flow. You know what I mean. So like you shouldn't miss miss anything. Or like um, when you're preparing for like the air brake test, which is pass fail. They're like, okay, there are seven things you need to say before you start, and then here's the acronym for the first thing. Then this is what you need to do, and then there's an acronym for the n- the second part. You know what I mean. And so like that helps a lot because you kind of get into the groove of things. Yeah. Um, there's a whole lot of numbers that are very important as far as like PSI level and, and stuff like that. And if you get those wrong, which I know all those, but like if you say it wrong, like you flip it the day of, it's like, nope, come back in two days. How many times can you attempt the test before they're like, eh, maybe you shouldn't be a bus driver? I mean, probably before my, I have to do it before your um, permit is expired. And it's like a six month permit. So you could take it as many times as you needed to. I mean, I haven't looked into that, but. You know, the I don't thing, think it'll take you that. I, I think you're you're a teacher, so you're. Let's hope one and done, because yeah. like I'm I'm killing all of the uh, like the little pre trips and stuff I do with like my instructors. They yeah. come out there like you're a natural. And I go home and tell Kendall I'm a natural. You know, and she's they're, like, they're honestly they're jazzing you up, dude. That's all they're doing. No, you know what? No, I've driven with a couple other people. I'm a natural. Oh, are <laughs> you? <laughs> At least more natural than they are. So <laughs> you get the other guys running over curbs and. Uh, yeah. Yeah. 
No, the hardest. I mean, like I'm fortunate growing up uh, with like farm equipment and cars. Like my my parents are car people, and so like I can pick apart an engine pretty well. And like the hardest thing for so many people is what they call the pre-trip, which is outside of the air brake test, where you have to like test the air brakes in a certain way. The other big thing though is you have to um, go through every single part of the bus from under the hood, under the whole length of the bus, the air brake system, the tire system, mm-hmm. um, you know, the bellows and everything like that. And you have to literally check each one, make sure they're not damaged, and you have to and you have to tell your uh, your the person giving the test all of this stuff. Mm. You know what? Do you have a? You know what I feel like the bus driver staple is. Um, an iguana, an iguana. No, yeah, Miss Frizzle again. Yeah, Miss Frizzle. I got it. Yeah. But no, my. I think that you need to have a bus fan. You know that fan that they well, like. I have a fan. Oh, do every you? bus has a fan. Yeah. Oh, they have it. Yeah, it's yeah. automatic. You just push a button. It's like nice. Kind of nice. It kind of gives like a nice droning. That it always everything. seemed like it wasn't like part of the bus. It always seemed like the bus driver, like when I was growing up, like hobbled it together and like clipped it to the window. I or think whatever. they did at a certain point, but then like. Probably like in Texas, you because now there's a law where every bus, every new bus has to have AC in it. Uh huh. And I think probably at some point they made a law where like every bus has to have a fan. They didn't do that for UPS. No. No AC. That's why they're striking. That's why they're striking. You know, I feel for them. Man, even on that bus with AC, the last two weeks, it's been hot. Yeah. Like I get up and like my whole body is like wet and attached to the seat. (laughs) And so I know, (laughs) and I have a bus with air conditioning. (laughs) Now, granted, the air conditioning, I feel like, is just for the passenger's enjoyment. It goes over my head. I'm just stuck with this little rusty fan. And so, you know, I guess I'll be okay. Yeah. But I just tell everybody to close the windows. That way I get to. And you're just going to be driving to sporting events. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. 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 And not even until the end of the year, end of the school year. So, yeah, it's good. Cool. I'm enjoying it. It's fun driving something this big. I mean, there's a lot of pressure that comes with it, but it's kind of fun. Yeah. You know. Uh, do kids have to wear seat butts on seat belts on a bus now? No. Not still not a thing. No, they just have to be seated. I have to wear a seatbelt. It, ha- it can't be frayed or cracked. <laughs> <laughs> and it has do to you have secure. to mention that out loud? I do. Yeah. <laughs> and it has to be secure. Yeah. Yep. I have to say like three times. You have to say it three times? Yeah, different parts. Different parts. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, every time you get out of your seat, the assumption is when you sit back down, you have to verbalize that you're putting it back on. Hmm. I mean, it's just making good habit. Like, I'm a good... Like, I wear my seatbelt every time I get in my car anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, So, for me, it's not, like, that big of a stretch. But I think for a lot of people, like, they don't wear the seatbelt at all. And so, they're just, like, driving a bus with no seatbelt. Yep. So... Um, cool. You have been doing some fishing. You specifically went carp fishing, and you had a yeah. epiphany you were telling me about. I'd like yeah. for you to mention it on the I podcast. I am pretty sure that I am bad luck at carp. Like, it's not that I'm bad at carp fishing. I am bad luck. I've been specifically to target carp three times, right? Okay. And so I know, like, my goal is to catch a carp. I probably should go up more often. You should get that number up to ten. Right. Before but I before I have any kind of epiphany. But, but your right three-time epiphany right, My three-time epiphany is every time I go fish with somebody for carp, the, like in the car on the way to their spot, they tell me the exact same thing, which is 
oh, just wait till we get here. I know, like you say, like wherever your honey hole is, you don't see a lot of carp. Where we're going, we're going to see carp after carp after carp. I've never seen so many carp. There's like six holes, and in each hole, there's going to be three to five carp in each hole, right? They're like, I've been 20 times, and every time I've gone, it's the exact same thing. Like, you're getting a carp today, right? And so we get there, and we walk down, and the person I'm with is always like, this is a little strange. And then there might be, like, one that's, like, go, and then it goes into, like, a deep hole, you know, so we can't, we can't cast to it because it just swims away from us. And then uh, they'll walk a little bit, and they'll be like, okay, well, like, I'm going to walk around this corner because there's always one over there. And they'll go and be like, no, there's nothing there. And so we'll be out for, like, four hours. I'm dehydrating and about to die of, like, heat exhaustion. And, like, and then never fails. They always come up and be like, it's so weird. It's never been like this here. There's carp every single time I've come here. And today we've seen, like, <laughs> one, maybe two carp. And I'm like, yeah, that's just how it is for me. Like, I don't know what it is. Maybe I have to get off, like, an like a anti-carp smell or something. They and are very scent-oriented. Right, exactly. But, you know, I typically don't get in the water when I'm carp fishing, so I don't know how they're getting it, you know. But... You got a very strong musk sack. That's just how it is. That's what Kendall said the first time she met me. <laughs> so. so you think that you're just bad luck? No, no, I don't think uh, I'm bad. No, no, no. So let no, me no, ask you this: who have who has taken you out? You said you've gone out three times. Yep. Put the people on blast who've taken you out. You. One time. When did I take you specifically for carp fishing? We went to that place. That's. That's when we relocated some carp. No, because when me and you went. We re- we relocated now. We didn't catch carp. No, no. no. When you went, you really co- you relocated the carp. Two carp. I'm not talking about the the river. I'm talking about the one spot where it was like like a park. You talking about the place that dried up? Yes. My yep. my old carp honey hole right. that went dry. When we went, was that the trip? It was dry. Uh, no, we went, we went after it filled back up. We went before it uh, dried out. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I took you, and there were no carp there. No. I don't remember that trip, but no. it probably happened. Yep. Then I went with Gabe Cross. Okay. Right. We did s- Now, with Gabe, I will say we did see, like, three or four carp, right? That's still not a high number. No, no not when I was promised 20 each hole, you know. And, um, so yeah, we didn't catch a carp there. I did say I did hook into one because it was going into a dark hole that I couldn't see, and so I blind casted into it, and I set – and it was a tiny one, and it just kind of popped off. Okay. So, I did hook into that one. And then, this most recent trip was with none other than Zach. And he promised me. I thought you went out with Gabe once, too, carp fishing. I said Gabe Cross. Oh, Gabe Cross. I was thinking the other Gabe. Oh, yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and you went out with Harris. And I did. And he was Y'all like, went like three weeks ago. Yeah. Right. And I've never been more anticipating failure in my life because on the way there he is telling me all the things that you never say you know like oh we we are getting a carp today maybe we'll get two carp today there's gonna be so many carp there it's crazy you know and he's not here to defend himself so we can poke a little bit more but do you think he's like he's been on a carp kick lately right and he's (coughs) had some good good luck lately so do you think that's gone to his head a little bit maybe maybe so yeah you know i'm not against saying that Uh (laughs) uh-huh Yeah, no, I don't know. Um, yeah, I, uh, you know, uh, maybe the fourth time. Maybe the fourth time is, will be the charm. Hmm. You know who I don't have? I don't have good luck fishing with Grant. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, we have a hard time normally when we go out. So I'm not saying we ha- we've never we haven't been like skunked, but 
when we go fishing together and you rank like the fishing days, obviously we're friends, we have a great time, but when you rank like compare that to other days fishing, right? Mm, they're towards the bottom. Yeah. So I don't know. But bass come so easily to you too, though. So do you feel like you need a challenging fish? Maybe. Maybe so. Because you have more bass success than just about anybody that I know. Yeah. I like fishing for bass. Yeah. And a lot of people would say that, like, the flies that you use. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't say that. Yeah. But when people see the flies that you use and then the quality and the amount of bass that you catch – the calculus in their brain does not <laughs> equal out. No, I get so. it. So it makes sense. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you no. Know, maybe maybe bass are like I don't want to eat something that's too pretty. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. But may, but you know it seems like people have this easy fish for them, and then they have this like challenge they can't overcome. Yeah. Maybe this is your challenge, and you need to like put some focused effort into it. I know. To overcome it, and then once you overcome it, then probably going to be like oh, yeah, this is. That's true. I need to focus on carp more because I say I always want to, and I go out like once a season, and I'm like, eh, I didn't see any. That's it, you know. But also, like, carp fishing is just like I'm hot the whole time. Well, you don't have to go in the middle of July and August. It I seems know. like that's when you go, Every too. Every time I go is the middle of July. <laughs> because when you went with Gabe, you almost died of heat exhaustion. Yeah, I literally passed out on the side of the river. So. I'm burning hot rocks. Yeah, so, um. Maybe you do like like this fall, like pick a month when it like like September. That's a good month. Yeah, I can pick do that. September, and then just be like, I am only gonna carp fish this month. Write it down on paper because it it's more meaningful if you write it down on paper. That's true. I'm only gonna carp fish this month, and I am going to go like pick a number of days that is doable for you. So like, I'm only gonna carp fish this month. I'm only gonna cast a carp, and I'm gonna go five days. And if and I see catch what one, happens. then I can go catch whatever I want. Yeah. Then you yeah. can move on. Or maybe if you catch one, you'll be like, oh, now I see why there's hype like around this. So bad. Why people want to catch them so bad. So, like, now that I've caught one, I like, I kind of get it. Now I'm more excited to do it, and maybe it'll be my a higher choice. Yeah. As opposed to opting out and going bass fishing. Yeah. Just a thought. Yeah. No, that makes sense. It does. I need to do that. Because I've done that before, too. But I also like catching new varieties. So, like, if I get something in my mind I really want to catch, like, it was the same way with, like, a cichlid, you know, yeah. like, finding them. Because when I first, like, found out about cichlids and, like, I didn't really know where they were and, you know, I kind of had to put some time into it and a lot of effort. Then I was finding them and I couldn't catch them. And it's kind of like a, it was kind of like a process. Yeah. But uh, when I first started fishing, I always set a goal. One of my New Year's resolutions was to catch, like, I always said, like, four new species a year. Mm. So I'd be like, okay, I'm going to catch four new. And sometimes it'd be an accidental catch. Like, oh, well. I wasn't planning on it, but here we go. Check it out. I wasn't planning on it, but here's this. Awesome. And then sometimes it'd be like, okay, one of those four species is going to be a whatever, maybe a carp. Yeah. It's going to be a carp. So now I'm okay. This is, I'm going to go out and specifically try to catch this fish. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah, but. A couple of days later, I did go out with John. And Actually, John and I have been out twice this summer. Yeah. I think I told you. Yeah, because last time on the podcast, I told you about the big cichlid I caught with John. Mm-hmm. Um, so we went out again. I uh, went to a different place. Uh, the siltiest river I have ever fished. What river? 
Medina. Okay. Yeah. But the section we were at was a lot of construction because I fished there with you before the section we went. Oh, I know. I know what you're talking about. Yep. Were there any carp there? Uh, so, I'm uh-huh. pretty sure that they were suckers. Okay. Because carp, once you spook them, they kind of, like, go away. Yeah, and they present darker in the water, too. Yeah, and they don't flash the silver. You know what I mean? Yeah. And there's a sizable difference between the size of Yeah, and none two. of them were huge. They are yeah. all size of a yeah, sucker. probably you know? suckers. And yeah. so and they were all clumped together. And then um, when if you'd cast towards them, they wouldn't even really move, you know, even if you got in the front of them. And if you spooked them, they would just kind of like swim up a little bit, but then come right back. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And like I feel like carp don't do that. You know what I mean? But they were also a lot smaller than uh, most carp. But we were there, dude. It was like I said, the siltiest place I've ever fished. Like every step, we were just like, f- like stepping through probably calf deep, just mud and silt, mm-hmm. and like that methane smell was just coming through. Like I actually threw away my shoes when I got back because they reeked of methane and they also fell apart. But what shoes were they? Those Astrals I've had for six years. Oh, that reminds me, I found a new favorite pair of water w- shoes, wading shoes. What? I'm gonna. Sh- so I actually. May filmed a YouTube video. I haven't edited it yet. Oh, do you have them with you? I have them in there in the garage. I'll show you after the podcast. Right, yeah, but they're astrals. Oh, I love astrals so much. And Honestly, I'm I'm gonna save up and get another pair because those pair, that pair lasted for six years. Yep, and they are great. What shoe size are you? I am ten and a half, eleven. We'll talk about something else after the podcast too. Cool. Um, because I might have a pair nice. you might be interested in. That I don't really wear that I bought years ago. Nice. Um, so uh, the ones that I got. So I have been looking for a wet weighting shoe mm-hmm. that is lightweight and has ankle support. Oh, so you want the taller Astrals. And has good grip on rocks. And the problem that I have with fly fishing boots is that, number one, a traditional boot is not made for wet wading. They're made to be worn with waders. So you're already at a disadvantage. And even with the socks, when you buy the neoprene socks, they still don't fit right. And then you're lugging around a heavy pair of boots all day. Yeah, I have the ultralights, and I've noticed that less. The ultralights are better, because I had those for at one point it's in like, time. And it's like walking around with hiking shoes. You know, but, but still... but. I don't always want to do that. Yeah, I know, but they're still heavy, and when you got, and when it's hot and you're wet waiting, it's not fun. So then I got the Orvis Pro Approach shoes, yep. which was a wet waiting design shoe, did not have a high top, um, and those were a lot. Those were a lot better, but I missed the ankle support. Uh-huh. Then Orvis came out with an, and I and I've been wearing those for years. Then Orvis came out with a new shoe um, that is the Pro Hiker. It's it's a designed wet wading shoe, but it's ankle high, but I was having issues with mine. They didn't work for me. So um, I ended up returning them and uh, not not using those. And then, uh, so I've been like, so then I'm like, I really want like a, a better wet wading shoe. Yeah. So then I was like, okay, let me go see what Sims has. Well, Sims has something like the Pro Approach shoe, the short one, and it looks like a big, heavy yeah. wading shoe. 
and I was looking at other brand shoes that make like wet waiting shoes, and it's just like they're all heavy, they're all big, they seem overbuilt. When I was in Montana, one of the guides had a pair of high top Astrals. Yeah. And I had never. Not the Brewer. Did you get the the, the TR1? They're called Hayak. H. Oh, okay. uh, They're called the Hayaks. And they're a high, they're like a, you know, an ankle. So they have like a, they have some ankle support. Mm -hmm. They are the lightest shoes. Dude, my other Astrals were fantastic. They're so light. Yeah. And they're comfortable. Yeah. These things are comfortable. They have the ankle support, no zippers. It's tied laces with a little thing that goes around the ankle. And, um, they grip really well. Yeah. And um, Dude, they just last. mine lasted forever. I really, really, really like them. I'm really impressed. And I think I've decided, like, I don't know. There's, like, the heavy boot thing, I'm just, I'm just over it. Like, I get it with the waders. You have to make a big heavy boot. And then you don't want a shoe that's going to fall apart either, like, after a year. If right. you're going to pay for... So you, I understand why fly fishing companies make these big heavy boots, but they're just big and they're heavy, and yeah. they gotta lug them around, and they're a pain to put on, and you can't wet wade with them. So I got those Astrals, I took them out, I tried them, I made a video, I absolutely love them. They're great shoes. So if you guys want to see what I'm talking about, there'll be a YouTube up. I'm not gonna make any promises when it's gonna be posted because, like I told you guys earlier, I got a lot of crap going on right now, but. Um, I just got to edit it and post it, and I love them. I have another pair of Astrals that I really like too, but they're not the high the high tops, and I really do like the high tops. See, I like the low tops because I feel like if I want the high top, I'll just put on my the lightweight hiker. You know what I mean? Yeah. I like the ankle support when I'm waiting. Um, the only downside to the shoes, that the Astrals that I got, is that um, – and for some people, this may be a downside. It doesn't bother me. Is that because the sole isn't as thick, you can feel what you're stepping on. Oh, uh, okay. So you have like the LOAC version of, but like the high version of that one. I don't know what that means. Okay. But I'll show them to you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're called the Astral High Axe is the actual. Because mine weren't that thin. Like, I couldn't really feel No, the much. other ones I have aren't that thin. Yeah. I have, like, These ones the are thinner. one, the trail one. These ones I think are made for, like, kayakers, rafters. Um, so maybe not to be, like, walking in the river all day. Yeah. But that's how I'm going to use them. Well, I know a lot of people just, any of their shoes they wear all the time. But I like feeling what I'm walking on, especially when I'm on the water and I can't see what I'm walking on or see what I'm stepping. So I like having that feedback in my foot. You know what I did the other day is I uh, I went fishing in my Chaco, something I haven't done in a long time. And I was kind of like, I kind of miss it. I might just start doing that a little bit more. You know what I mean? Well, the only problem, because I have the um, bedrocks. bedrocks. And I usually end up like when I would fish with Chacos or bedrocks, usually end up, like, rubbing my foot in a weird place and getting, like, a blister. Oh, really? So I'm not going to wear them in the water. These I, these new shoes, if I'm wet waiting, I'm wearing them. I wore my ones without the toe strap, and it, it was great. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, you got them pulled up there? Okay, so, yeah, these are the low yak version, uh, but just with the high top. So you know these because everybody, I feel like, has these ones. You know, these in the brown mm -hmm. or the blue. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like when you go to Trout Fest and, like, 
thirty percent of people were wearing. Yeah, you know what I mean. Um, yeah, I like them. I like Astro. Like I said, I I just I had them for so long that again I'm gonna get that's gonna be my next shoe. Yeah, for fishing. Just because I had to toss mine. Literally, what happened after six years? I'm walking through this muck. You know, I pull it up and I'm like smelling that stuff, and all of a sudden, like my toe. I'm looking at my toe. You know, from the seam had ripped. Finally, you know. Nice. And I was like, "You feel like you got your money's worth out of it?" Oh yeah, for six years. Yeah, I wore. Yeah. Them. I remember, and the reason why I know I had them for that long is because I'm looking back at my honeymoon photos, and I'm like, "Oh, I was wearing those shoes." I was like, "I forgot I bought those even before Kendall and I were married." You know. Oh, nice. And so I was like, "Yeah." So like, I took them everywhere through the Bahamas and all that, and then they're my fly fishing shoe for years. Yeah, nice. And they're also great. Like if you're going on a vacation and you don't want to bring a wading shoe, but you know, like. You might be wet waiting. Yep. You can wear them on the street. They look pretty good, and you can also wear them anywhere you go. So let's talk about the Ironfly. Cool. I'm going to get something pulled up real quick. I don't have it handy, so if you'll just bear with me for a second. While you're doing that, I took two people. I took a few people fishing last week. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Uh, another teacher friend, and then his two uh, daughters. They are middle school age, but they had never fished before, like conventional or fly fishing. And so um, I let them use a couple of my rods. We went out to a, to a spot, and, um, man, they we just they had so much fun. Uh, and from real recovery, the best way I've learned to teach people who have never fished before or never fly fished before, put an indicator on, 12 inches below, put any kind of bass fly or panfish fly. I, put, I think I put a couple brim reefers on or a carp fly or a small like a small carp fly, you know, and just rainbow cast that thing and just let the river take it, you know. Yeah. That's all we did, and they caught fish all day long. That's so, awesome. Yeah, and they had so much fun, even so much, like, at the end, the dad was like, um, all right, you know, like, let's go. And they are like, no, 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 we're going. We're still fishing. We're still fishing, <laughs> you know. Uh, and we got back to the cars, and they were like, okay, so we're going to Bass Pro to get stuff right now, right? It's <laughs> <laughs> like, no, not right now. We will later, though. Nice. So, Ironfly. Ironfly. In case you guys haven't heard, October 21st, New Braunfels, Texas. What are the hours? Don't know yet. Afternoon. Yeah. Plan for the second half of your day to be filled with the Ironfly. Yes. We'll we'll announce a time when we get closer. Just go to your calendar, block it off, don't schedule anything, no doctor's appointments, no anniversaries. No. Saturday, October 21st. Ironfly. New Braunfels, Texas. More details will come. But what I wanted to say is uh, two things. Number one, if you uh, know a company that would want to be a sponsor, reach out to us. Or if you want to be a sponsor, reach out to us. We'd really appreciate it. We have a sponsorship list we can send you guys. So if you guys want to sponsor the event, that would be great. 100% of the proceeds are going to be donated to Real Recovery. Yes. So um, it's going to a good cause. Trust me, it's a good cause. Um, We wouldn't be doing this if we did not believe that this was benefiting a good cause. Um, I want to highlight the people who have uh, donated so far, the the sponsors that we have. So uh, Texas Farm Bureau has uh, sponsored, and that was a direct donation to Real Recovery. Um, William Townsend down at the coast has donated a guided trip. Uh, Wildlife Outdoors podcast. Those guys have donated uh, a donation, a cash donation to Real Recovery, and they're going to donate some TFO gear for a raffle. 
Fatty's on the fly donated a guided trip. Bimini Rods is donating a custom rod. Roy's Bait and Tackle is donating uh, various gear. I don't know what, because Zach Harris is handling them, so I don't know what various gear means, but uh, what that is specifically, but various gear. Loon Outdoors is donating some gear. I know it's a fly tying kit and some other things. Uh, Remote Designs is going to donate some waterproof packs. And uh, Dale White is going to make a custom knife for us for the raffles. So that's what we have so far. We got a good list. Based on the value of this list, uh, right now. Yeah. he's calculating in his head. Uh, about $6,000 of gear or direct cash donations nice. has been donated to Real Recovery. That's awesome. So we are, I feel like, and obviously all these donations aren't going to, you know, may not equal out to like an even donation to what the value is. We're hoping that they do. But, you know, if we have a $10,000 goal, this is really exciting to be, you know, have $6,000 worth of stuff donated so far. And we still have some pending, some people that haven't confirmed yet. And so um, we really appreciate all you guys that have sponsored so far. And we're working with some others that we're going to add to the list. And if you want to be a sponsor or you know a company that would want to sponsor Really appreciate if you reach out to us. We're trying to get this finalized fairly quickly so we can iron out the rest of the details. Um, Living Waters is going to be associated with the event as well. I'm still working with Chris on what that means, but they're probably going to donate the vices and everything that people can tie oh, flies cool. on yeah. and a lot of the materials for the iron fly. And uh, Chris, I believe, although I haven't had an official confirmation, um, so this could change, but I believe Chris is going to be one of the judges. Oh, nice. And Kevin Hutchinson is going to be another judge. Oh, perfect. And I have an idea for the third judge, so um, we don't have confirmation from that yet, but those are our judges as of right now. Nice. So everything's coming together, guys. We're really excited for the event, and uh, we hope you all come out and join. All what right. do you think, Zach? Are you getting excited? You've I'm been excited. emailing some sponsors, although you got the you got the corporate list. <laughs> Yeah. And if you don't know what that means, me and Zach Harris got the <laughs> list that would be easier to solicit sponsors from. Yeah. Zach got the list. Where I got he's, the long shot list. He, Zach got the long shot list. <laughs> so, um, Listen, we don't where have if we can we get, <laughs> if, yeah, it's basically meaning we have no connections to them and it's like we're trying to reach out to their corporate offices or whatever to get a donation. So, right. Zach. Have uh have you if you get one I'm honestly gonna be oh like dude super if I pumped. get one I'm pumped. <laughs> so have you reached out and has anybody responded? I've reached yeah I've reached out to a few and uh nothing yet nothing yet nothing okay. yet so we'll see we'll see how how it goes okay yeah but it's still worth the effort we'll oh we'll, yeah it's we'll worth s- the effort we'll see what happens yeah. we'll oh, see yeah. what happens so um. I feel like there's something else going on. We're seeing Oppenheimer on Saturday together. Yeah, we are. I'm at. I know this isn't our movie million. podcast when we haven't recorded one of those <laughs> episodes in like. It's probably like been a year. Six months to a year. When was the last time Kevin Hutchinson was on? Because we did. That was the last one that we did. Oh, see, I thought the last one we did was with Cassio. No, Kevin. We did. Uh, was it Blade Runner? Oh, okay. Yeah. No. Not Blade Runner. Oh, wow. See, that's how long it's yeah, been. Yeah, I can't remember. 
We're going to do one for Oppenheimer, though. Okay. Because Harris is going to see it, but not with us. Okay. Yeah, no, he needs to. But we're going to see it on Saturday. And explain to the listeners, because you'll probably be do a better job describing the experience that we're going to have watching this film. So, it was filmed, the movie was filmed with IMAX film cameras, right? So, 70 millimeter. Which film is roll. Film roll. Yep. Yep. And so, it's a large format. So it's bigger than 35 millimeter, right? 70 millimeter with IMAX camera. So there's a lot of a lot of contrast, a lot of color, a lot of depth. Um, and so there's only one spot in San Antonio that's even playing this format. Some places in San Antonio are playing like um, the film version, but it's 35 or it's just a 70 millimeter, not IMAX. Some places have the digital IMAX version. We are seeing it the way it was filmed on IMAX 70 millimeter film. Film. They actually have the film rolls. Yes, it weighs like six hundred pounds, and it's eleven miles long. Yep. And when they got when it's they, it was really cool when they actually sent it to the theaters. They actually had to splice it together because it's so heavy it couldn't come as one big roll. So they actually had to splice it onto the thing. So it's kind of cool to watch them do that. Yeah. And apparently, there's only twenty theaters in the U.S. that actually show seventy millimeter film IMAX. IMAX. Yeah. And one of them's in San Antonio, so we opted for the full. Intended experience. Yeah. And then I'll see it, you know, the digital way the next day. And you can compare. And can see, yeah, and make actual, like, I've never done that before. seen, like, the film version versus the, the digital, digital version. version. That's actually a good good way to do it. Yeah, yeah, So I think I'm excited just to kind of be able to tell what the difference was. I'm just, I was surprised that there were so few theaters that could show that option. And then I was like, there's been all kinds of cool facts coming out about the movie, like, there's only a handful of cameras that can even shoot yeah. in 70 millimeter light film like that. And apparently, Christopher Nolan has des- destroyed two of them um, filming, like, one of the Batman movies. Oh, really? Yes. I didn't know that. And they're like, I don't remember the cost. I want to say the cameras were... They're probably 100 grand, yeah. at least. Because reds can be, like, 30 to 60 grand. Yeah. I want to say they were more than a hundred grand. Really? Yeah. So, so, but destroyed two on set of one of the Batman films. So, crazy. It's <laughs> cool though. But it also, if there's only a handful of them, they can only use them for so many movies at a time, too. Yeah. So. so why not burn all of them down? Yeah, bring them all down. <laughs> exactly. But that's exciting. Other than that, I got man fishing. Nothing on the radar. I just got to take care of my stuff at home. Yeah. For now. I promised Kendall we would go fishing. I promised her that the last day of school. You know how many times me and her have been? Zero. Zero. <laughs> but does she still want to go with how hot it is? Yeah. The thing is, though, I, I'm like, okay, we're leaving at 630. She's like, can we just leave, like, at 8? I'm like, no, no, if we leave at 8 and these are not getting there until 9, it means the fishing is done by 10. Yep. It's not worth it at that point. Yeah, and I tried an evening session, and it was... Evening sessions are, like... Um, still too hot. Because it's 104 in, at 9 o'clock at night. Yeah, so. yeah, no, for sure. Are you getting all the CPS messages about your energy usage? No, because... They I call me every... No, they call me every day. Peak time is 3 to 6 p.m. Make sure to turn your... Thermostats up to ninety two degrees, so we can save the electricity. Do they really say ninety two? No, I'm o- no. I'm exaggerating, but no, see, they don't because we're always like in like the top ten percentile or something like that. So you know what's funny That's is no, no, we're like in the bot, like one of the bot. We're like 
82nd percentile. Uh-huh. Like one of the worst. And one of the worst. And I know what it is. It's we have a really old AC unit that's just a tank, uh, but it's not super efficient. Yeah. So, so we have a newer AC. Even though our house is older, we have a newer AC. That's more efficient. Yeah. Yeah. So we have an older one that is it's original to the house. And oh. it, that, that that tank is still going. Way. Yeah, and we we've even had some AC issues in the past year, and the AC guy will come out and repair it. And he's like, do not get rid of this unit. This is one of the best units. He's like, your AC bill is going to be higher, but, like, this thing's a tank. (laughs) Yeah, like, he's like, all the new ones, they die after, like, six to eight years. This thing, this house was built in 92. That AC unit is as old as I am. That's crazy. (laughs) And it's still, man, it feels nice in here. I know, (laughs) I know. So I've been turning it up. Like, we've been running, like, 75, 76 with fans on as opposed to running, like, That's what we do. And then at night we drop it down to, like, 73. Yeah. But, uh, but. So we're in the bottom percentile for energy, uh-huh. but we're in like the top two percent for water usage. Oh yeah, yeah. So I feel yeah, like we don't water our grass. So I feel like dirt. it's. Well, I feel like we average out to the middle between it's, the two. You know, water, electricity. I haven't turned the sprinklers on this year. We even have sprinklers. I haven't turned them on. Really? We've had like a decent amount of rain so far this year, mm. and the grass was alive for a while. But then now it's so hot; it's almost even if you water it. It's See, hard to keep it. When we bought the house last year, we didn't have grass. We just had, like, weeds and dirt. And so a year later, we still just have weeds and dirt. Yeah. So I'm telling people, we're, no, we're going, like, Texas natural. So we Do, like, dirt. a zero – you could do, like, a zero scape. I know. I've, we're thinking about that. The only thing is once you commit to that, that's, like, it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, like, and there's, like, some things about having, like, the perfect green yard. You know, you're like, it's neat. But at the same time, it's, like – It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And it's also, it's not the most, like, green, like, or efficient thing to do. If you're if – you're, eco-conscious at all, right? Like, if you care about the rivers, then, like, having a green lawn is shouldn't be the most important thing. No, it's not to me. I could care less about having yeah, a green Yeah, you know, yard. because, like, they have honestly, it, eventually they'll have to I drain th- the Devil's River uh, so we can have green lawns, yeah, and I'm not yeah, for that. Yeah, I honestly, having a green yard, I could care less right. about. So, I got to convince Kendall. I, what I'd like to do is maybe just put down, like, turf. But then I wouldn't be able to use. See, the thing is, too, I like my lawn equipment, and I like mowing my grass. What grass? Exactly. <laughs> but I do like getting out there and mowing my weeds down every now and then. You know, yeah. that's kind of exciting for me. I feel like I just get out there. Kendall comes and watches me, and I'm like, oh, yeah, she's watching her man cut her grass. <laughs> you know, there's something to be said about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, Zach, you got anything else nah. before we move into our interview? No, I don't think so. Okay. So, this is an interview that we've actually already recorded. Like an hour ago. Like an hour ago. (laughs) (laughs) With um, David from Project Healing Waters in Georgetown. Yeah, it was a good conversation. David Perez. He is the program lead for that project. Not the director. Not the director. Uh, You guys will learn about that more (laughs) in about five minutes. But he's the program lead. And uh, we had a really good conversation about what Project Healing Waters does, which helps military veterans. Uh, I like the perspective he also gave of, like, kind of talking to, like, to us who are civilians, right? But you guys will hear, but he really kind of gave a perspective of what it's actually like to come home for a lot of these these soldiers. Yeah. And so, um, I don't know, it was it was a different conversation than I've, that I've heard talk about these groups before, 
And so I'm excited for you guys to hear it. Yeah, it's it's a it's a good one for sure. So you guys stick around, enjoy the interview, and then again, they're they need volunteers and they fundraise too. And I mean, I know we talk about real recovery all the time, but this is another great organization. And so if you guys have one in your area, um, whatever you guys can help with, like just pick something and help out if you like to fly fish and you want to make a difference like there's project healing waters there's casting for recovery there's real recovery there's all different there's um mayfly project there's all these different great organizations that help different groups and just pick one and go for it throw yourself in it immerse it and i promise you you will uh, really enjoy your time and really enjoy the work that you're doing and you'll make great friends and great relationships along the way with that being said Here's our interview with David. We hope you enjoy it. All right, guys. We are here with the program director for Georgetown Project Healing Waters Fly Fishing, David Perez. David, we're glad to have you on the show. Glad to be here. Uh, uh, just for uh, for accuracy's sake. It's, uh, I was afraid that I messed it up. <laughs> oh man, you were, you were talking about this before. Yeah, I was trying to make sure I got it all right. I pulled, <laughs> I pulled the info from the website, but you can correct me. Yeah, it's the program. We're called program leads. Here. Okay. Not director. Program lead. Oh, it does say lead on the website. I butchered it. Dang. Oh, well, you know, it, it happens. Yep. Yep. Okay. So David, you're the program lead for project healing waters, fly fishing. Give yeah. us a brief description of what Project Healing Waters is, and then we'll kind of go into more detail later, but just kind of a quick overview of what Project Healing Waters is. Project Healing Waters Fly Fishing is a program that supports disabled veterans uh, and disabled active duty uh, healing through fly fishing. So uh, a lot of... Um, Soldiers will come back, uh, some with PTSD, some with uh, other uh, anxiety issues or, or reintegration issues uh, or struggles, and we help them find the community through, uh, through, through the fly fishing community and through the joy of fly fishing. Okay. So let's backtrack to how we met, which, <laughs> yeah. is, which is awesome. It was, a good, it was a good meeting. It was a good meeting. So uh, we met you at Trout Fest. Because mm-hmm. we were uh, camping neighbors. Yes. Yes, so, I was tent camping. Y'all were clamping. Glamping. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah. Not, you know, I, I've tent camped a lot. And I, I'm, I don't think I'll ever go back. I know. <laughs> it's nice being a little pop-up. It is, I, I'm at the <laughs> age now where, like, when I, was, when I was, like, 20 years old, that would have offended me. But I'm at the age now, now that I've done, like, the, the RV yeah. camping, uh, I, I don't care. Yeah, sure, I'm glamping. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell, you yeah. What, I'll tell you what doesn't hurt after I get done clamping. My back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I, I was feeling it afterwards. I'm, yeah. still, I'm still a bit older than the yeah. both of y'all. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. I was definitely feeling it for a couple of days. Yeah. yeah. So, it's And it's nice. not only the camping. It's the drinking and the busyness and the work in the booth and the oh, yeah, so all the other activities that go along with Trout Fest. Exactly. Yeah. You know. yeah. And that's the thing with, like, an event like that. When you're staying on site, you're never off. So no. from the time you show up and, and, and pitch your tent to the time you pack it up, you're working yep. the entire yeah. time. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that definitely was how it went this past year. Yeah, no, for sure. So um, 
What was it like camping next to us, David, other than the fact that we were glamping? Yeah, we're great neighbors. <laughs> we did share a campfire at least one night, yeah. maybe more. That's hard to I think remember. It was one night, yeah, just yeah. a Friday night. Yeah, um, we came back late, and we were going to get our fire going, and you already had yours going, and you were gracious enough just to invite us over. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about that part. And, uh, yeah, and uh, we didn't hang out quite as long the second night. <laughs> I think we're all still uh, still a little tired from the first night and the first yep. full day of work in the booth. That's how real recovery gets you. Or not real recovery. That's Tra- how Trout Fest gets you. That second mm-hmm. night, man, you just want to crash because you're like, yeah. oh, man, I've been going yeah. for like 36 yeah. hours. And then Sunday is always a drag for any event. You're like, oh, <laughs> yeah. I wish it was only Saturday. Yeah. And then you go and do Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. Y'all definitely had the easier pack up though, so I had to pack up my tent and everything before I left. Well, we did a whole uh, uh, cookie refrigerator system because we were sharing with uh, Mary's Mountain Cookies, and so he oh. he brought all of his cookie trays <laughs> and freezers and all of that. Yeah, so we were carrying oh. these huge <laughs> freezers, freezers, deep freezers. Yeah, so uh, that was that was a lot. Yep. Um, so, David, uh, let's start with this. What how did you initially get into fly fishing? Um, well, that's a, uh, I've always been an angler. Uh, I grew up fishing on the coast, Rockport, uh, Texas is my hometown. Okay. So I grew up, uh, with a rod in my hand. And one of my earliest memories is fishing on the dock in a freezing February, uh, with my dad, but there was no real fly fishing in south texas when i grew up i had heard about it uh when i got older but but never tried it and then uh when i got married to my wife in 2001 her grandfather uh was fly fisherman so it's the first time i really uh put my hands on the fly fishing rod as we went on honeymoon to uh to colorado to silverthorne colorado Mm -hmm. And there were some fly rods there uh, that we could we could use and kayaks. So I went kayaking across the lake and uh, and tried fly fishing. And I'm sure I made a spectacle of myself. I was going to ask. I'm curious what your like initial thoughts of fly fishing were coming from conventional fishing. Like when you were first introduced, were your thoughts like this is ridiculous? It's never going to work. Or did you have like a more open mind to it? No, I definitely had an open mind to it. I had, I mean, I had seen the river runs through it. I mean, so. <laughs> so you knew everything you needed. Yeah, you so needed you knew, you, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I wanted to be Brad Pitt out there, you know. Uh, <laughs> Don't we all? But, uh, <laughs> yeah, right. but uh, so I, had, in seeing it, I kind of, you know, I was like, oh, that looks, that looks really neat. That looks like a peaceful way to fish instead of, you know, hucking three ounces of lead out and into the middle of the water and just waiting, uh, which is how I grew up fishing a lot. And, uh, but, you know, trying, tried it a couple times and never really picked it up. But then when I got out of the army, uh, in 2017, I was volunteering with a, another nonprofit organization, uh, taking veterans hunting mostly. And I'd taken a group, uh, to Mississippi on a, on a deer hunt. And two of the guys that came from different parts of the country 
saw each other there and they're like, Hey, I didn't, I see you at a project healing waters event. And there's, he was like, yeah, yeah, we were, we were down there. And, and, uh, it was crazy that these two had gone on a, on a separate trip of project healing waters from different cities. And then they met up on my event and I started talking to him about it. And so as soon as I got back to Fayetteville, uh, North Carolina, I looked for the program there and got involved uh, at, towards the end of 2019. No, I'm sorry. This was the beginning of 2020, right at the beginning of 2020, just before the lockdown. And uh, so, so I found the program and then everything shut down. Uh, and they tried to do some events. They did some fly tying virtually uh, via Zoom and whatnot. So I started getting into it. But then, as they started picking up more activities, I got I got into the program there and started volunteering with them. Um, and then moved back here in 2022 back to Texas, and uh, just just continued to stay plugged in with Project Healing Waters. So really, I didn't start fly fishing until 2020 okay okay and what has so really getting into it in the past three years what Mm -hmm. has your experience been like what have your been your biggest lessons learned is like um as not quite a newbie but like you know having a couple years under you but starting it relatively new So what have I learned? Yeah, what have you learned? Like, what have your, been your biggest, like, um, your biggest lessons learned about fly fishing having been into it three years? Um, always bring more leaders than you think you'll need. <laughs> <laughs> you know, always have more than two. Uh, I'm notorious for getting hung up in trees. And even even Steve Ramirez talks about that in his book, you know, getting hung up. So, but... um. I think not overextending myself as well. Cause you know, I try in, in traditional fishing or bait casting, I can take, you know, two or three ounces of lead and I can hook that thing out there like, like a hundred, you know, hundred feet or more, uh, or longer than that, you know, probably, I think when I'm, when I'm on the shore, uh, like surf fishing, I mean, that thing's going out there 80 yards. Yep. And you, you can't do that with fly fishing. Yep. It's just, it's not how you do it. And I'm not used to being able to see the fish so much before you, you know, you even cast. You know, there are some places on the coast where you can be on a pier and get under the lights and the speckled trout are running, but that's that's not common. It's not everywhere. So. So in a stream when you're walking and it's and it's a foot of water or a foot and a half of water and you can you can see that bass rising and it's a, it's a whole different ball game and trying trying to play that fish. Yeah, do you still conventional fish as well or are you pretty much oh, yeah. you uh on to the fly fishing game 100%? No, I still conventional fish too. I was I was back home in Rockport for the 4th of July and uh in you know, did some conventional fishing, mostly because it was too windy to fly fish. Uh, there was just, there was just no way I was going to get anything out past 20 yards. And, uh, where I was staying wasn't a very good spot for fly fishing. So, so we, uh, we were just on conventional stuff. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Um, 
talk to us about the Georgetown Project Healing Waters chapter. So my understanding, and like a lot of uh, nonprofits, uh, you guys have different chapters, so you have different areas that you operate. Um, and so you're the program lead for the Georgetown Project Healing Waters. Correct. Okay. So talk to us about the Georgetown Project and what you guys do. Um, from reading on the website, it looked like that it had shut down for a while, and then it's kicked back up again? Yes. Uh, you know, COVID killed a lot of things, and uh, during COVID, the program wasn't able to operate, and uh, none of the programs were. Uh, but then when things started opening back up, the lead that was here, uh, he lives up in Colleen, and the other lead that was taking over uh, the San Marcos group uh, was, was a bit far of a drive for him, so it just kind of imploded, uh, and they just um, decided it would be better just to close it because it wasn't anybody really to man it. But I got here in 2022 uh, and was looking for the program to get involved in, and the closest one to me was in San Marcos, so I started attending the San Marcos program. Uh, but they meet on Fridays uh, at between 9 and 11, and I, I still work full-time. So Fridays is not very feasible to me unless I got a, a random Friday off. Um, so talking with the leadership uh, at San Marcos and our national leadership, we decided that uh, I could restart the program up here. And, and this program was originally – ran out of Fort Hood in this area. So it wasn't here in Georgetown. It was out of Fort Hood, okay. which is now Fort Hood. Um, so me living here in Georgetown, I wanted to have it here in Georgetown because there's a lot of streams here. Uh, I have three streams all within uh, about 20 minutes that I can fish. Yep. And uh, just a lot of people here in North Austin is, is still a little bit far to drive all the way down to the San Marcos program, which actually meets in Martindale. Um, and I can go up to Fort Hood and, and support them up there as well, or Fort Cavazos, I should say, which is now called. Okay. And so when do, when do you guys meet and what do you guys do at your meetings? We meet the second Tuesday of every month, uh, at six 30 at the VFW hall, uh, VFW post eighty five eighty seven, uh, which is at 1000 North college street. Uh, here in Georgetown, and we have different programs uh, every month. Uh, one month we'll do fly tying. Uh, we had a world champion fly tire uh, do a, a fly tying demonstration. You might know Fred Dupre. Um, so he wait. Came there's and, a fly tying. I didn't even know there was a title of a world champion fly tire. I don't know if the world champion. <laughs> I might have misspoke there, but he's a uh, he's a FFI champion fly tire okay and he's, he's part of the ffi organization as well uh and he he happens to live here in georgetown so he came out and uh he's one of our greatest volunteers all of them he's come out to recruitment booths and sat there and tied flies uh demonstrated and uh and then he came out to the program one night and did a fly tying class for us and then we'll have uh, presentations like Jim Gray, uh, who's a, a, a local fly fisherman. Yep. He's just every, you know, Jim, yep. uh, he's been everywhere around here. And uh, 
So he came out and he gave us a presentation uh, on, uh, you know, fly fishing in the summer in the Texas Hill Country because it's a different, it's a different challenge in the summer around here uh, with the heat and the low water. And, you know, fish are just not biting after twelve o'clock, yeah, even ten o'clock. Yeah. Um, sometimes we'll have um, just kind of. Uh, a meet and greet and you know talk about different fishing spots we'll have casting instruction uh different fly fishing uh, instructions uh and once a year uh usually at the start of the summer we'll start our rod building where our participants can build their own fly fishing rod that's awesome that's really cool yeah and they'll uh that we get uh some discounts on on materials from different sources so that we can get them in and we provide them with the the rod and the materials the thread the eyes reel seats grips everything and they get to design it uh with whatever colors that they want uh build their first fly rod and then uh submit it to our national fly rod building competition uh which has three different um three different um, levels. So you have the beginner, intermediate, and advanced level of rod building, and they can win a large, large package of fly fishing gear, or whatever. Um, but whether whether they win or not, when they complete the rod and enter the competition, we also give them a reel uh, already with with backing and fly line and a leader and a, and a rod case to go with it. So they're ready to go fishing once they're done with their rod. Yeah. That's awesome. How many guys do you have participating with y'all up in Georgetown? Right now we're at about uh, 14, uh, I believe 14 uh, participants, uh, getting signing up more every day uh, and really uh, really looking forward to, to trying to get out and do some fishing this fall. It's still too hot. To- yeah. I, I would say I went fishing like two, maybe three weeks ago for like an evening session. Mm-hmm. And – it was like still like almost a hundred degrees, and I was just like, "This is not." No, I, I've fun. been out for a few morning sessions, and by ten o'clock, it's, it's been done. Yeah, that's getting out yeah. by seven, you know. Well, and it's still like hot too. It's just yeah, yeah, it's crazy. It's sticky, it's just sticky that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. besides, besides at the meetings, you know, we do our fly tying and our instruction, education, and rod building. Uh, then our other component is outings. Mm-hmm. We'll do do day outings or some overnight outings. Okay. Uh, we work with uh, different guides in the area to, to take guys out for, for short day trips, sometimes half day trips, sometimes full day trips, uh, or we'll do a float trip down the, down the Colorado or the Guadalupe, you know, and go for some, some bass or we'll do an overnight trip. There's a, I'm planning an overnight trip probably for late fall next year uh, down at the Devils. Okay, awesome. That, so just, that'll be just, a great trip. Just one night? Probably just one night. Yep. It might go into two because it's a long drive. Yep. Yep. Yeah. No, for sure. Um, what, uh, what impact have you seen that Project Healing Waters makes on the guys that come to the group? Um. Well, there's there's a lot of different uh, aspects to it. Some some guys, um, you know, as I said before, you know, we have guys sometimes that maybe suffer from 
uh, PTSD. Uh, and as, as you know, the movie uh, Men in the Line talks uh, shows, it can be very relaxing uh, to get in the water and, and fly fish. It's, uh, it's just the, the calmness of the water and the focus that you have to have to, to fly fish kind of takes their mind off of other things. Uh, myself personally, and, and what I've seen from other guys is that sometimes after you get out of the army, uh, you lose that community. Uh, and you, you've had, you know, kind of instant friends wherever you go for so long. And then now you get out and maybe you go back to work, maybe you just retire, but it, it's kind of hard to, to find someplace to plug in or, or find, you know, just friends to hang out with. And, and that's what this provides. And it's, it's around fly fishing, but it could be around anything that's, you know, that's why I never begrudge anybody for wanting to try another program. Uh, or, you know, there's a uh, hundred different ones. There's equestrians there, equestrian therapy. Um, there's, there's bowling groups, you know, there's just about everything. And, uh, yeah. it's, yeah. And those guys, they, it's really a sense of community. Um, that they can, they can meet other like-minded people. They can hang out and they can talk and they don't have to focus on, uh, their, their worries and their anxieties and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. And I've, uh, even noticed with real recovery when we volunteer that our fall retreat is a veterans only with cancer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the spring retreats open to anybody with cancer and the fall retreat is veterans with cancer. And there's a unique bond um, that is immediately formed between the veterans. It doesn't happen on other retreats because they kind of, they have that connection point. And like you mentioned a second ago, immediate friends. And there might be some ribbing about what branch of the military were you in, you know, and all that. But, you know, you get past that and it doesn't even matter. It's just immediate friendship. And it's re- it's a really cool and unique thing to see because I don't think I could. I haven't served in the military, so it's almost it's hard for me to explain. But having witnessed it, I've never seen any other group of people come together in a way that military veterans do. Yeah, just initially. Just initially. Yeah, yeah it's just instant because, like you said, it's it, it's just that you you automatically have common ground. Mm-hmm. I mean, no matter what branch, yeah, like you said, you sure you're going to get that ribbing. Oh, Navy, you know, Navy guys, this and Marines, you know, we call them crayon eaters and <laughs> like that. But, uh, you know, I'm sure Steve would love to hear that. But, uh, you know, we all, it, it's kind of like you're, you know, you have a brother, you know, and you can rip on your brother, but if anybody else rips on your brother, you know, they're, they're going to hear about it. Yeah. Or, but, uh, but they're your brother. So you can kind of tease them a little bit and, uh, and they tease you back, you know, it's all, it's all in good fun. It's all in camaraderie, you know, but at the end of the day, we're all, we all put on the uniform. We all raise our right hand, you know, and, and that's what it's all about, you know, just helping each other out. And I know, uh, like the, with the Sam Marcus program, the lead down there, Sam, he, he's not a veteran, but he has so much, uh, compassion for veterans that it, it, it doesn't matter. Nobody, nobody really, nobody really cares because uh, from, from a veteran point of view, 
that support to us is is just as uh, just as uh, uh, valuable to us as the fact that you, you maybe you serve, you know, mm-hmm. uh, because we feel like well. Uh, you may may not be able to have the same empathy, but at least you can have the sympathy and and feel where we're coming from. Because especially with some of these guys that have PTSD or other kinds of trauma, uh, you know, trauma is trauma. And uh, you don't have to have served to have experienced trauma. Yep. And, so, and I don't want to interrupt you with that, but we were talking before the podcast about Mending the Line, and that movie does a really good job of um yes it's about military two military vets with trauma but trauma is trauma and there's another character in the film that has trauma and it's something that brings them together regardless yes yeah absolutely and i think you know it's a wonderful thing that y'all do with real recovery and i know other other programs with project healing waters have have also uh, partnered with them as well, and I just think those are those are all great programs because whether or not uh, you serve shouldn't be uh, a caveat to to compassion. Mm-hmm. David, will you walk us through your military experience? Uh, I had probably the the easiest military experience uh, <laughs> anybody's had has ever had. So. Uh, I graduated uh, with my IT degree in 2003, in December 2003, and and came to the Austin area uh, to find work. But if you remember that time in the Austin area, there was a lot of dot-com bubbles that kind of popped all over the place, and it was it was really hard to find work. So I bounced around for a little while and ended up joining the Army in 2008 to help pay off my student loans because uh, they have this uh, program called the Student Loan Repayment Program, where after, if you've gotten a degree and you enlist, instead of going into the officer program, they will pay off your student loans for up to $65,000. Uh, and they'll pay them off in the first three years that you're in. Uh, the, at least that was the program when I was in. When I went in, I don't know if it's still there. All you have to do is four active, four inactive, uh, inactive ready reserve, what they call it. Um, I ended up doing nine years, um, but I was um, in the civilian world be categorized as a health inspector. Uh, it's called a veterinary food inspection specialist or 68 Romeo. Uh, so my job was really to go into commissaries and food service establishments and inspect them for food code and food safety, food quality and that sort of thing. My office was in the back of the commissary, uh, watched the trucks come in every day, checked all the food that came on the base, uh, and that sort of thing. Uh, did that first two years in New Jersey, and then I had a really easy assignment over in Italy. Got to live in Sicily for four years. Uh, and how was that? <laughs> it, it's... Uh, it's about how you think it would be. It was just fantastic. <laughs> uh, you know, it was, it was NAS Siganella is is probably in one of the most beautiful places in Europe. Uh, it's right on the eastern coast of Sicily, right in the shadow of uh, of Mount Etna, which we got to watch erupt several times. Uh, you know, and 
I say if, if anybody could ever go to Siganella, do it, go there. And I know people listen to this and agree with me. Uh, and then, uh, coming back, uh, went to Fort Bragg, North Carolina, which, uh, in the military, there's a, there's a saying of, uh, payback assignments. So you'll get a good assignment, but, uh, watch out because you're going to get paid back, uh, with, with the payback assignment. And that was, that was my assignment in Fort Bragg. So, uh, it came back to, uh, uh, to what we call a field deployable unit. Uh, but it was a good time. I mean, when I came, they were already deployed to Afghanistan. So I came and just kind of waited for them to come back. And, and then we never got to deploy again. I, I did do a five month at sea, uh, PDY, we call it temporary duty with the Navy on, a a hospital ship called the USNS mercy. And we did five months in the South Pacific on Pacific partnership, uh, 2016. Uh, we got to go to Philippines, Malaysia, Indonesia, Timor-Leste, Vietnam, uh, and do some, uh, you know, uh, public health missions there and, and, uh, you know, partnership with, with other different commands. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it was a really interesting time. Five months at sea, made me absolutely sure I made the right choice and not going into the Navy. <laughs> so, uh, uh, why, why did you ultimately decide to get out? Uh, part of it is because I had entered late in my life. I didn't enlist until I was 31. Uh, so by the time I had done nine years, I hit 40 and uh, my body had already taken a toll. Uh, so I was, I was kind of hurting and uh, uh and decided it was kind of, it was time to go. Okay. Then it was either going to be that, because if I'd stayed any longer, if I'd stayed over 10, um, then uh, it was like, well, you're in, you're over halfway now to retirement, you know, and I stick it out and I was, I was was just ready to be done. Yeah. Um, What, uh, what are some uh, stories you have from your time with Project Healing Waters, either that like has, you know, been a positive effect on somebody or a positive effect on you or, um, do you have any like specific examples that you could share? Well, I think the whole experience with Project Healing Water has been a positive, uh, effect on me. I'm a, I'm very extroverted. Uh, I like to meet people obviously as y'all learned at the campsite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll talk to anybody. Um, so when I got out in, in 2017, it was, it was kind of rough. I went to work, but I was kind of isolated for a lot of it. And, uh, getting back, getting involved with a group that met on a regular basis. Cause the other nonprofit I volunteered with before project healing waters, we didn't meet on a regular basis. We met, you know, a, f- a couple times a year on trips, but that was it. There was nothing throughout the year. Project healing waters. We have events, you know, uh, some programs have an event every week. You know, they're meeting every single week. The program in San Marcos meets every Friday. Uh, we meet once a month uh, and have other events throughout the month. And it was just uh, just getting back into uh, a community that had kind of the same mindset as me that, that, really, that really helped. Um, 
there's been a there's been a few guys that I've met that uh, have had a really hard time after getting out and uh, just being accepted, uh, and not just by the civilian uh, community, but even by other vets. Will you will you dive into that a little bit more when you say have a hard time being accepted because as someone who's a civilian. I just want to understand what that means deep, more, more deeply. I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah. um, being accepted and what that's like for a veteran, um, because as a civilian, I I don't know, and I you know I hear the statistics. Is it twenty two a day? Twenty two a day. Twenty two a day, and you know it's just like it's hard to wrap your mind around what that is and what that's like. So if you could dive into that a little bit more that'd be great sure the 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 hardest thing like i said before about um getting out is losing that community Mm -hmm. that you initially uh that you've had in the military for so long and um sometimes it's hard to change your mindset um so one one veteran in particular um didn't really have a negative mindset of civilians, but just he couldn't relate to them as much as they couldn't relate to him. uh, If that makes sense. So he felt ostracized, whether he might've been completely or not. uh, It's it's hard to say uh, because sometimes, you know, in these instances, you're only getting one side of a, of a scene, you know, you're only getting one side of the story. So you don't know, uh, what all he's been through. Um, I find it more easily, uh, to accept someone, uh, regardless of how they look, you know, uh, a lot of veterans, they'll get out and the last, the, the first thing they'll do is stop shaving and, and stop cutting their hair. You know, because we've been told every day to shave and get a haircut, you know, and that's the one thing that they can do immediately to kind of take their identity back. And uh, some guys take that to the extreme, if you understand my meaning there. You know, Uh, you get guys that kind of look like Grizzly Adams after a few months, you know, Uh, and... You know, they walk around with uh, not necessarily a chip on their shoulder, but uh, some of them do, uh, but with a different air to them. Um, And this one in particular, you know, uh, sometimes uh, it's uh, grooming standards fall out the window, you know, Uh, so kind of gets kind of gets the the side eye from people sometimes but it's it's difficult to to broach that conversation sometimes it's like you know if you took better care of yourself you know it's like i don't care you know i i I really couldn't care less how someone looks if they need help you know and if they're coming to the program i feel like they need help uh, or at least they're looking for help, or at least this is where they can 
they know they can find it. So I'm accepting of, of a lot of things. Uh, and I think for a veteran, for some veterans to, to come right out and ask for some kind of help or therapy, it's difficult. Uh, for others, you know, for, for me in particular, I, it's not as difficult because I have my family here to also, to also help me as well. But not, all, not everybody has that family. The military was their only family, mm. and they get, and then they lost it. Yeah. So, it's uh, it's definitely been eye opening for me to see, uh, just the wide range of of guys that would that come to the program. You know, some guys have been fly fishing all their life, you know, and then. Uh, and then they went into the military and then they get out, you know, a few years later and then maybe they do four years, 10 years, 20 years or whatever. And they're immediately right back into fly fishing. And, uh, the military is, was not necessarily why they got connected. It was the fly fishing, mm-hmm. you know, um, as, as, uh, I think it was on your, uh, when you, when you interviewed Joshua uh, about the book, when he says, you know, for, for all of us, the military was a chapter of our life. It was, wasn't the whole story, you know, and, and that really struck a chord with me uh, because having entered the military so late in, in life compared to most people, you know, it couldn't be anything other than a chapter in my life because I had so much that I had done before you know, and then only doing nine years and now I'm on to the next chapter. Yeah. So, um, but for some guys, they, they, they have a hard time opening a new chapter. Yeah. Um, even I've, you know, taken some, like, uh, I did like a class with my wife and one thing that they brought up is when we were doing it was that you know, a person changes seven to nine times during their lifetime. And so you're going to be married basically to seven to eight different people. And, and like, I, I, I think about that constantly and like how much I've changed as a person in just seven years, how much my wife has changed as a person in just seven years. And it makes sense. And you have to like be okay with that be open to the change. And then usually also, Obviously not in all cases, but usually it's a better change. So if you look back over like how much I've grown in that time and usually it's, it's for the better. So, um, you know, just like kind of relating to what you just said and it like being a chapter, I think even all people listening, even whether you were in the military or not can relate to that. And like, Zach, I'm sure you could say, like, compare yourself to who you were eight years ago. Oh, yeah. Would even, you consider yourself a completely different person? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Even four years ago. You know yeah. I mean? Like, things just change. You have different life experiences, and it's all about how you handle those. And Yeah. What can, uh, what can civilians do? Because I feel like I'm kind of in an awkward spot as a civilian of, like, you know, with the military thing is, um, like, I'm very appreciative of everyone who has served in the military, but it's kind of awkward sometimes. You're like, I don't know how to express that. I don't know how to help. 
um, I hear the statistics and I'm like, you know, that's horrible. But then at the same time, I'm like, what, what can I do about it? Um, I don't want to be pushy. I don't want to intrude on people, but you know, I'm appreciative of the service that military members have given to this country. Um, but I don't know how to express that and I don't know what's expected of a civilian. And w- so like, what can civilians do to like kind of overcome that? Cause I'm sure I'm not the only person that feels that way. Yeah. And I've heard that a lot. Um, I've heard a, a cliche, I think, uh, I, I'll call it a cliche that, you know, if you, to honor a veteran, be the kind of civilian, uh, that was worth going to war for, you know? Um, and that, that puts maybe a lot of, a lot of stress on the, on the civilian population. You know, you gotta be worthy of that sacrifice a little bit. Um, but I I think that it's, there's a lot more to it than that. And not that you have to, you know, you'll buy every, every veteran you see in a restaurant lunch or whatever. Um, sometimes, you know, just, uh, you know, guys will say, thank you for your service or something like that. I usually respond with thank you for your support. Cause it really means a lot to me when, when someone says that because they went out of the, they took time out of their day, uh, to, to thank me for something that I almost did, uh, because I didn't have many other choices, you know, some guys, some guys had tons of other choices. Um, I had a few other choices, but, uh, it was the choice I made. Um, so for someone to support that by saying, thank you, uh, that means a lot. Some, some guys, uh, some veterans I've met don't really like it. They, they feel nervous, uh, when someone says that, or they don't know how to respond. So it's difficult to know, when uh to say that uh but i feel like you're doing a lot already uh one by you know spotlighting our our program and and the mini line program on your on on your podcast and the work you do with uh real recovery and 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 project healing waters you know partnering with us with other things uh in the past you know those are the kind of things that really really make a difference or uh you know, uh, maybe support local veteran organizations, VFWs, American Legions, DAV, uh, stuff like that. And give blood. Give blood. Uh, can't say enough. Yeah, give blood when you get the chance because, you know, it goes to save lives every day. Not just not just lives of veterans, but, but lives of, of people in, in hospitals, you know, everywhere. You know. Yeah. That's good too. What about on a level of like uh, you mentioned earlier that veterans have like a hard time connecting when they come back and they get a civilian job? Like, what if you work with a veteran? Like, what's something that somebody could do that would make them feel more connected? And I don't know is is there anything you can do? And if so, you know, because I I understand the challenge of coming back and not feel like in my mind I understand how that would be difficult. But as a civilian, and what can we do to like bridge that gap? Does that make sense? Yeah, I think for the most part, uh, they just don't want to be treated differently than anybody else. Um, for the most part, you know, it's not about uh, 
what they did necessarily uh, when they get a civilian job. They want to come in. They they have a lot of experience. Um, one of the one of the hardest things for for veterans going into the workforce is is hiring managers and, and discounting the experiences that they have in the military. Because you may have one job in the military. My job was a health inspector, but I did a lot of other things. Um, I handled personnel issues. As an NCO, I had you know a couple soldiers under me. I helped them with professional development. I, I, um, I managed uh, different tasks and programs and put together convoys, you know, there's, there's a hundred different tasks and, and, and things that they can do rather than just this one little, uh, job description, you know, so don't, don't discount their experience and, uh, you know, really don't, don't treat them like, like anybody else or don't treat them differently, uh, than, than another worker. You don't have to tiptoe around them, but you also don't have to, uh, uh, you know, call it out. Their military service, like I said, it's a chapter chapter of their story. You know, they're there to do a job and they want to do the job. Yep. Zach, you have any questions? No, let's see. You hit all the big ones that I was going to ask. So I think... David, is there, is there anything else that you want to add that we maybe haven't covered that you wanted to talk about? I know we mentioned pre-recording, uh, you know, that uh, you really connected as a veteran with Steve Ramirez's book, Casting Forward. Um, are there any other resources or is anything else that you want to mention? Um, so I did want to say that something else that, that civilians can do, though. I wanted okay. to get back. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Sorry. I didn't know. Um, yeah, well, I just thought of it, um, is volunteering with organizations like ours. You don't have to be a veteran, veteran to volunteer with Project Healing Waters uh, or, or Warriors on Quiet Waters. Um, matter of fact, I can't speak for them. So, um, you know, go to their website and find out. But uh, most, of, most of our programs uh, or programs like ours don't require that you be a veteran to volunteer. Uh, if you have fly fishing experience, you know how to tie flies, you know how to how to cast. Uh, for us, we need uh, fly casting instructors. You know, so we'll have a fly casting uh, instruction day. I might have twelve or fifteen guys out here. Well, I'm only one guy, uh, and I'm not that great of a caster. We said it earlier. You know, I lose leaders in the trees all the time. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I only have a couple guys up here uh, that are fly casting instructors. Chris uh, with Living Waters being one of them. Uh, so you know, programs like ours could use use help like that from the experts out in the field. You know, in what y'all do. If someone wanted to volunteer with Project Healing Waters, whether that's in Georgetown, if that's their area, or somewhere else, what do they need to do to sign up as a volunteer? Go to the website uh, projecthealingwaters.org. Uh, up at the top, there's a link that says get involved. And there's three on that drop down menu. There's participate, uh, volunteer. And honestly, I can't remember what the third one is. Uh, but if you want to be a participant, uh, obviously you click on the participant link and it's going to take you to another page where you can register, uh, find your local 
uh, program and email that person. Uh, and then on volunteer, you, you do the same thing, but it's, it's just a volunteer request instead. And there's a lot of things you can do. Like with real recovery, you have uh, fishing buddies, right? So you have, you have someone yeah. to come along and help them. Uh, and we do the same thing. Some of our guys have limited mobility, uh, so we may need someone with them in the in the river uh, to help them help them walk through the river and, and, and cast and and do all the things that need to be done. Uh, so those are the kind of things where you, you don't necessarily have to have fly fishing expertise to do that. You know, you just have to be able to want to walk into a river. Yeah. Um, how do you guys fundraise? Being a five hundred one c three. It is uh, mostly just uh, requested donations. You know, uh, we volu- we fundraise through our website. Uh, we have fundraisers here. Um, I'm planning one for this fall, um, but mostly it's uh, it's online donations. We have some recurring donations uh, that that fund our different programs. Okay, cool. Yeah, uh, let us know when you guys have fundraisers, David, and we'll uh, we'll mention them on the podcast. Absolutely, we'll yep. do. Yeah, just shoot me an email. We'll we'll do a little shout out and let everybody know what you guys got going on and what you're doing it. So that's awesome. That good. Yeah, and the, and the programs in Texas, uh, of course, I'm here in Georgetown. Uh, Sam Marcus program uh, is led by Sam Godfrey. Uh, there's the Lufkin program out in East Texas. Uh, there's one in the Hill Country out in Kerrville, uh, and there's one up in Dallas. Okay, cool. Um, David, that's all the questions I had. We re- we uh, we really appreciate you coming on and talking with us. I know this was a scheduling nightmare. This was probably the hardest one to schedule. Really, we kept going back and forth. Yeah, and you know we're we're we've had a hard well, time this ourselves. Month has been a lot. Yeah. We've had a hard time ourselves, and then getting all three of us on the same page, getting you on the same page, trying to make it happen in person that didn't work. And you were like, "Let's just do Zoom," and I'm like, "All right, let's just do <laughs> Zoom." That's Seems like that's the. And I think you originally maybe messaged me on Facebook, but I didn't see the message because maybe we weren't friends for like a month. And I was oh, like, yeah. I, I was like, man, I'm so sorry. We're not friends, so it didn't show up as like a normal message. I didn't see this, and then it took probably another month or two to actually make it happen. So yeah, yeah. Sorry, no for, sorry uh, for the scheduling disaster. So it's all right. I, I, you know. And I thought, I thought, hey, you know, you're just down in San Antonio. I could just drive down there one evening, you know, hang out. And, and but uh, it's just, you know, I work and then and then running the, the the program here and trying to trying to do things. And it's just uh, and family uh, responsibilities, you know, got to come first. Yep, yep, I understand. So, well, thanks again, David. We really appreciate it. We'll, we'll throw the uh, links of your project and Project Healing Waters in the description. So if you guys want to check it out and volunteer, you should go to their website, projecthealingwaters.org, and sign up to be a volunteer. Um, I, you know, I've, when San Antonio had a chapter, I helped out. Um, I wasn't like a full-time volunteer, but just kind of helped out with a couple of things here and there. Um, and I know with my experience on real recovery, which I'm committed to, but if you have a, if, 
it's really, really good thing to volunteer. And if you guys have a chapter near you and you have the opportunity to volunteer and you have something to offer, um, whether that's fly tying, rod building, fly casting, I'm sure that the, you know, program leads would really appreciate your help. Um, you should reach out to them and, and help out however you can. It It's going to make a difference in the lives of the people who are coming to participate, but it also makes a difference in your life as well. And um, as someone who's volunteered for Real Recovery, I can say that confidently um, that, that you're going to have a positive impact on you know, the people that are coming and it's going to have a positive impact on your life. So uh, I highly recommend that you volunteer and you check out Project Healing Waters. Thanks. Yeah, we have over 220 programs across the country, so there's got to be one close by. Yeah, I know we have listeners all over the place. So you guys listening, go on the website and see what other, you know, we have some, uh, we have listeners all over the country. So um, go check out your local, your local program. Thanks, Landon. That was great. Thanks again, David. Look in the description below to find links to our website, online store, YouTube channel, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Discord server, and blog. Please send your podcast questions and inquiries to info at honeyholeangling.com. Thanks for hanging out with us. We'll see you again next week.